three, two, one. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Don't forget to add the two-on-one podcast in the how did you hear about Podgo section of your application. Now get ready for the rest of the episode. Lads, we are back. Yeah, Hello. we are. Mm. That was yeah. That was more energetic Great. than most episodes. I'm yeah, excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sound after so our, excited. Yes. After our morning uh, Sunday episode last week, where we looked a little tired. Oh God, that was brutal. It wasn't even the Grand Prix to watch either. Thank God there was one today. We'll talk about that a little later, though. Maybe after a special guest appearance. To tease it later in the show, stay around, ladies and gentlemen, because Harmon Dial of The Athletic, he covers the Canucks, will be on the show. We're going to talk about everything Canucks, everything you can think of. We're going to ask Harmon. We love him. We're so excited to have him. Well, last we should start off. There is some signing news afoot. Well, we'll start with actually the Leaf side. Travis Dermott signs his qualifying offer. It's a one-year shindig. Travis Dermott. He'll what play is, the right side, apparently. What is it with you and the word shindig today? This is at I least the third word of the time day. you used it. It's the third time he's used it in uh, in our Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of he had Travis Dermott had a, a weirdish year, um, kind of showing he can be a top four when there were injuries, but when he was in playing on the third pair, he just didn't seem to have a proper partner. Like they were just kind of rolling through partners, uh, CC Barry Hall. I think they here they play a little bit together too, so I do like. I, I enjoyed I, I'm happy he's back and you know what? We're gonna have to talk about who the top six defensemen will be for the next five months or whenever hockey comes back. Oh. And I will say there's they're gonna play with seven defensemen. Mm-hmm. Right. Alex, you're I mean, dang it. Daniel, your thoughts. Put that on the Mark. bingo card, ladies and yes. gentlemen. Yeah, um, I liked it. I think I mentioned to Alex where we had the smile on his face for like my reaction when I saw that cap hit where I was so happy with it that, you know, I thought he was a guy that was going to get at least over a million, but it's a great prove me deal. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I think he's someone that I think if this was any other team, to be honest, he'd have more, there'd be more patience on it. But the thing is the way the Leafs have made these moves is just, it's kind of like he's under the microscope now to be like, okay, are you going to perform with this prove me deal? And what can you really be like? What is, what is like, the ceiling for Travis Dermott at this point because I think five years is enough now to kind of kind of kind of really analyze what can you bring to the team and what are you going to be for us moving forward mm-hmm. I think I really did like the pick initially when they got him 34th overall in 2015 and to see him kind of like blossom like in the, especially in the early years has been good it's just I, I every time I watch him like I want him to take that extra step like you know like the the opportunities are there for him to get into the top four. What's really interesting, and we, we had a conversation a while ago 
where I kind of put it to you guys that I would be amazed if, if, or I wouldn't be surprised, sorry, all I would expect was Victor Mete and Travis Dermott would sign along the same kind of deal. And I mean, Victor Mete, 735000 Travis Dermott, $874,000. Was that Both, also his qualifying offer? Couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Could oh, not tell okay. you, honestly. Uh, 748 okay. uh, It was just under it, actually. You know, it's it's two young defensemen. Both are need to show that step forward. It's exactly as you put it, Daniel. But, like, I was just having flashbacks as you were saying. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Victor Mete is in the exact same situation here. But it really is. This is Travis's year. Uh, and if he's going to succeed, if he wants a sort of future place on that team, Man, you better be able to play the right side and play it well, man. You're finally getting the shot, Travis. You got to do it. Yeah, I do think that if he proves himself on the right side and proves that he can be some type of reliable defenseman consistently, I mean, we're looking at what we don't still don't really know what Miko Lennon is going to be in the NHL. Everyone's saying how good he's going to be. I mean, that potentially you could use a guy like Dermot and replace Hall. Like, I know I'm looking real into the future here. It's just, it's just kind of the first idea that popped into my head. I know the Leafs really like Hall, but at $2 million, like we don't really know, obviously what Dermot's going to make past this year, but I don't know if $2 million on Justin Hall is kind of the direction they want to move. Yeah, like mm-hmm. the value there when it comes to like that cap hit where, you know, I also do like Justin Hall. I like his story. I like what he kind of brings to the team. But just when you look at like the comparables now where you're paying a guy who may potentially be your seventh defenseman at two million and then you're paying Travis Dermott like less than a million, like not less than 900,000. It's just a weird imbalance, especially for a team that's just so close to the cap. You know what? If Dermott really can excel in this role, and let's say he, you know, earns a much, you know, a, a significant raise next year. That really sort of, because he'll still be an RFA, there's still control there. And there's a really good asset you could get there. Because, I mean, you still have a guy like Rasmus Sandin, who you would assume by next year, at the latest, you would hope he's finally a regular in the lineup. So yeah. I, I like every sort of side of this deal, lads. I'll, I'll add on there. Uh, anything else you want to add on another Leaf defenseman? No, not for me. No? All right, Daniel, anything? Um, Just one idea, but it's nothing really too long, right? Just kind of think about when you mentioned Rasmus Sandin, I think of like Timothy Littlegren, and then even to like a lesser extent, someone who's making waves is like Mac Halloway, mm-hmm. who, you know, I don't expect him to be a top pairing guy, but it's the kind of thing where you really do push the depth in a way where I guess, you know, exciting times for Toronto to have these options, especially for a bottom pairing. Mm-hmm. And on the right side, something like, there's no such thing as too much depth on the right side of your defense. Great name, okay. by the way, too, Mac Calloway. Mac Calloway, yeah. You know what? Also, Travis Dermott, really nice guy. That video of him and the kid talking about, like, giraffes and rhinos and driving cars, I thought was amazing. Really, really yeah. funny. Uh, we'll talk about a former Leaf now. Downtown, Connor Brown. A, a contract that I'm going to say Daniel put here, he deserves a three-year deal with the Ottawa Senators, re-ups their $3.6 million AAV. He deserves it, though I, I think that's a little rich. A little rich. I know they have they need to hit the cap floor, but a little, little rich. I mean, he's a top he's a top six winger on that team. Ah, 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. maybe not anymore. I, I mean, it depends. Okay, here's the thing. It depends on where you're penciling in Tim Stutzel, like, uh, and whether like I'm, I'm, I'm very sure he's gonna play uh, next season with the Sens. Like, I'd be a mistake not to do that. But right now they have they don't obviously daily faceoff doesn't have him penciled in, but he's on the second line. Oh yeah, he'll play top six. It's just I, I don't know. Like I- I've liked him too. He's a proven twenty goal scorer. Uh, though you know that that's cynical side. I'll go to you here, Daniel. You think he deserves it? Why do you like Connor Brown as a player? Why do you believe that he's worth three point six million as well? I think it's just two things. I think the Sens just have to hit the cap floor. Yeah. Um, second, too. I think, you know, he he's the same thing where we talked about with Bobby Ryan, where he possesses that same type of leadership asset that they want for the younger guys. He's a guy that, you know, what we've heard also from Toronto, like he's a good locker room guy to have around and is a bit rich. Like a lot of the times where I saw him on Toronto, you know, it was very interchangeable on that energy line where you put Connor Brown or you put Tyler Ennis. And then we saw what Tyler Ennis got on a deal. I know he's young. Um, he's a bit older now, like Tyler Ennis, but it's just what I kind of felt like his skill set was at, but maybe Ottawa sees something that we don't. And for me, in my opinion, I think it's just the chemistry of keeping him there, especially for the young guys who are all coming up at the same time. That's very fair. Um, we did criticize the Sens and rightfully so. Um, and well, many others have as well for letting guys like Boretsky just kind of walk. Bobby Ryan, too. Uh, he's a younger guy, Connor Brown. He's only 26, but still, it feels like he's been in the league forever. Really, it, it does. He's just one of yeah. those guys that, you know, uh, 31 Thoughts had Stan Bowen on. And he was talking about how um, Alex Sabrinkat was 21. And I was like, really? He's that young? He's also been around for ever it feels like a lot of those sort of young guys uh, yeah i think his first brown's first full year was um 16 17 really it put up 20 the, goals with the leafs yeah all right damn uh anything else to add on connor brown i miss him in toronto sure i do too but i know he was a cap casualty mm-hmm. not unfortunately unfortunately uh though i'll tell you uh What's not a casualty? Let's see, it is really to the world of the sport. We've lost a UFC fighter. Oh, Khabib I, I had no idea has... where you were going. I know, that, me too. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, did I, I miss a signing? What are we talking about? I knew I put, I know, I, I know I asked you to put it in there. I just didn't realize that's how where we were going. Khabib retires undefeated in the world of, of, uh, of UFC. Incredible. He he did. Apparently, he made a promise to his mom it'd be his last fight because he said, "I can't do this without my dad with me." Since his father, yeah. of course, this is his first fight he had without his father since he passed away. Yeah, it's definitely emotional. I mean, damn. And he had a broken foot, or apparently, yeah. The rumors wow. are yeah. three Jeff weeks. Carter. Three weeks before the fight, uh, they say he said he was in the hospital with a broken two broken toes and i think a foot a broken bone in his foot and what, which he is got intense. that guy in the second round last night he got? he got that guy in the second round i believe in a triangle choke and that was oh notice we're saying that Wait. guy we don't know his name Sorry, oh justin yeah. gagey no no justin gagey <laughs> i i i justin gagey yeah okay. um i saw a video of gsp saying i knew he was good 
but that was next level or some, along some something along the lines. And I'm like that. That guy's that guy's twenty nine and zero. Wow. The only way, and I know a lot, a lot of people kind of think it's like the Barack Lesnar slash like McGregor thing. Oh, sure, he's retired. I think the only no. thing that could bring him back, the there's one match that I think would do it, and I think it would be like. He would see it this way because apparently his father's dream match was him versus GSP. GSP. We know Khabib wanted him, but I mean George is George is done. He's retired. Yeah, I mean it, he, he talk, came back too. He, yeah, he did come back. I I saw an interview, same interview as him and uh, Ariel Hawani, who's actually Canadian, um, saying like he's not gonna try to get Khabib back in to the ring because it's he knows. He doesn't want to. He knows Khabib doesn't want to go in there. And by all like everything I've read, it seems like Khabib and his dad were really close. So mm-hmm. I don't th- like. I'd be and listen. I, my knowledge of UFC is absolutely bare minimum. But I just don't think he's coming back. And just the way he ended it was just absolutely dominant. Uh huh. We don't see it much, do we, Daniel? Going out on top. No, not at all. That was pretty crazy. That amazing storyline. Um, everything kind of, you know, like these are the kind of things I just kind of find with the sport is with the UFC. It's just that when things are kind of like hyped up for these type of matches kind of thing, like it's just like the anticipation of it. But then like the things kind of unfold like this and then we know more about the details afterward. It's just even like after the said event, it's just the things just kind of unfold a lot better in a way. I, I like I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, you also hope that men actually do stay retired. Don't soil the legacy like a certain Irishman did. A guy you kind of which guy? Oh my god! A guy that could be that beat uh, so bad that the guy hasn't come back yet. Oh, how? Well, so he bad? did. How, he did. He did come back once. How bad is it that McGregor put that 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 statement out when he's like, "I will carry on" or whatever? Like, you are such a. It's such a beautiful. He is the. Khabib. I and know, just, I know. It's so Connor, but it's just like, man, I just want to laugh at you for that. That's just so out of place right now. Like, that's the first time I've really been like, Connor, you're a bit of a loser right now. Oh, I'm, I'm very sure he's not thinking that at all. Just swimming in a pool full of hundred dollar bills <laughs> after just a hundred, just a hundred million dollars alone from fighting. Um, Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather, just, yeah. just, just swimming. Yeah, but he's, uh, it's still you, him playing the game though. Oh, That's because he wants is. to get a fight. I know. I, I could, I know exactly where, where, where he's trying to go. He's trying to get a fight. <laughs> but who does he, who does he even go? Who fights him now? Uh, anybody in the top, <laughs> anybody in the top. I don't know. Listen, back? I don't know enough. You're like, I, there's people I'm just tell I'm just kind of repeating what I've heard from mm-hmm. guys like I listen to one MMA podcast and that's about it so <laughs> hey you know what we should support um is it Nick Baldwin yeah he was oh, in my yeah he was in my um great content by the way Nick if you're listening to this he, he was he's he was in my um what was last year's course the feature writing course oh yeah yeah really nice guy Shout Big Jets fan too. Winnipeg really? Jets. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Wow, well, we should we should get him on 
talk about USC and be like, yeah, so what do you think of Line A? <laughs> just like, yeah, just like throw him off of the questions. Ask him one UFC thing and then go, all right, talk about the Jets for now. <laughs> so Paul Stasny. So, man, you know what? Also, shout out to Will Baldwin. I don't think they're related. He graduated, which I was like, Oh, what? did he? What? Yeah. Remember he tweeted out? He's like, thank God I'm graduating. I never have to worry about university again. Oh, I thought it was at the end of the year. I think it is. Maybe. I don't know. Well, early congrats, Will. I guess well, early congrats, yeah. early congrats. No one, well, he's no one here like, really knows. He's kind of like you, Daniel. He's in that weird, like, because I think he did other school stuff then came yeah. to Harrison. And then you you're, you also did, like, the first year in our program, and then you got into the Masters. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if he didn't you, do. Still don't know how you did that. Imagine if he didn't do the first year. I know, Daniel? right? Oh, God. Imagine if I just went to the Masters. This. He, we, wouldn't podcast. Know him. we wouldn't even know him. I know. No, Alex and I probably don't talk to each other. I, know. That is I was true. the bridge. I was that the bridge. That is absolutely true because I sat next to you guys because I knew Daniel. Yeah. Wow. That's. I don't think I'd have any friends in the program if I didn't meet Daniel, what? to be honest. Oh, thank you, guys. You're like, too sweet. Seriously. That's how I started talking to you guys and, and so on and so forth. Wow. You know why? You know why? It's because when I remembered my own first year, I was so nervous talking to people that I'm like, I'm not going to make the same mistake. Yeah. And I don't want it to be like, people are kind of just like standoffish or you just, mm-hmm. you're just friends in class. You're not friends outside of class. So I'm like, no, I have to, I have to be the catalyst to this. I have to change the environment and the culture. <laughs> hey, now we have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Talk about culture and the team that desperately needs to change their culture is uh, the Buffalo Sabres. And, and I guess, I don't know how much this is going to help, but they do retain Sam Reinhart. Uh, he has signed a one-year deal, $5.2 million. And he's just uh, – uh, Sam Reinhart strikes me as the kind of guy that they may have a Josh Anderson situation here slash Jacob Truba. Let's just do these oh. one-year, one-years until I can get out of here. Because he you was really everyone think so. Talk. Yeah, because Eichel was great, but I mean – I, I think Reinhardt was all right last year. Mm-hmm. And he's just, I would imagine he's even more frustrated because he's been there even longer. Yeah. He's he had, had no one to play with. He had 50 points in 69 games this year. That's 22 goals. That's not bad. That's no. Not bad at all. That's I, not bad at all. It would have been like a career. I think it would have been a career yeah. high in goals at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I kind of feel with him is that, Two things. I think that he could be a good part of the Sabres future moving forward. But the thing about it too is like I guess like in my head too, like I I think I I value him in a weird way, knowing that Leandre Settle went right after. I I, I always go back to that. I just kind of think about like, you know, when you draft a center that could also play the wing, like, you know, even then I like Leandre Settle's like was the clear guy. I thought he was going to Buffalo. So like I do like Sam Reinhardt and I think he's a great player. It's just I think at this point too, where the opportunity's been given, I just like I just kind of feel like every time I see him, like Sam, I I need you to do more. Yeah, Alex. Well, do more with what though? Like, I'm just double checking daily faceoff mm-hmm. here and what the projections are for next year because I do believe he played at least part of the year with um, Jack Eichel. He did, or no, yeah. he did until I, I believe they moved him. Um, after Victor Olofsson like started actually scoring. Yeah. So now you're not playing with Jack Eichel. You're kind of playing with a 
uh, dried up Jeff Skinner and you don't have a second line center. That's the thing I kind of felt with it where they've tried center with him for so long. That He's a center in NHL 21, actually. Uh, <laughs> that um, I kind of felt that they, I remember the criticism was they kept moving him here and there. And I think maybe that has kind of affected him. But at the same time too, when they actually said, okay, we'll give you your own line. We'll put you on the second line. It just, that's when he went on that drought. Mm-hmm. I really I think a... they should put, oh, sorry, Adam, go. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think they should really put him on the first line. Hall, Eichel, and Sam Reinhart. I think that'd be a damn dirty line. Oh, yeah. He he also kind of drew a bad card in it. He took that bridge deal and then landed, when's his contract up? Pandemic. He, uh, he, yeah. he did not, he got dealt the bad hand there. Really you bad. Think... I can no, I was just going to say, do you think he gets this type of deal without the pandemic in terms of he signs a one-year deal? Or do you think that he goes the long-term route without the pandemic? I would say, because he also is like the first, I think, notable RFA, unless I'm forgetting someone. Or first RFA forward, because D'Angelo did sign with defensemen and all that, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like everyone was really getting kind of screwed on term except the big guys and even Hoffman still hasn't even signed yet. So I'm, I'm sure maybe the negotiations, he goes a bit more for term or even just at least something that walks in the UFA. But with this, I mean, what, what if there's a situation where, yeah, there is a sort of maybe a, a Hall Reinhardt Eichel situation and he can stat his pat so he can pat his stats as well. And I mean if we're not for the pandemic and money just disappearing, Taylor Hall probably doesn't go to Buffalo and someone else tries to get him this wicked deal. Yeah. yeah. It, maybe it's also that that situation of Reinhardt looks at the hall side of like maybe I can get me some extra cookies there, a couple apples, maybe some Geno's or something. Probably. Uh, yeah. Right. Anything else we wanted to touch on with Reinhardt? Um, like Sam, he's a good boy. Great name. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What Daniel said. All right. Uh, also, there looks like they're going to arbitration with Linus Allmark. Uh, the Sabers are willing to go. I believe it was like in the one million dollar range. Uh, I want to say one point three, but don't quote me on that. The player is looking for four million dollars now. At That's first, crazy. Yeah. I was I was thinking, what are you smoking? And then I looked at his stats. He had a nine fifteen save percentage this year. And I thought, excuse me, where did that come from? Because Carter Hutton was garbage. His save percentage was worse than Bobrovsky's. It was an 898. Damn uh, right, I'm gonna try. Like he's not gonna get that. It'll probably be like 3.2 because arbitration's a joke. But yeah, uh, team, on yourself. The team is 1.8. Players 4.1. Sorry, that's from that's the team. Oh, no. Thank you. Yeah. That's from Friedman. So okay, reliable source I hear. Sometimes. Yeah. Tweeted about baseball last night. Shout out to the Rays. Dodgers completely blew it on that play. I didn't even watch the game, no. to be we're honest. We're still going for the Dodgers, though. Are we? No, we're not. No, plan? we're not. Yeah, the Rays have eliminated the Blue Jays. I'm Did so the confused. Rays, this is the like Rays, cheering for the Bruins. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. Did the Rays, they lost in the in the World Series last year, right? The Rays? Yeah. Or am I, I thinking of a different no, team? No, that was the Astros. The Astros. No, they won, didn't they? No, the Nationals won. Washington Nationals. Nationals. Uh, that Montreal Expos one. That I oh, remember yeah, I very specifically because I remember Bryce Harper leaves and they win the yeah. World Series. 
But remember, that was a I because well, Tampa the Rays were supposed to do that. Like there was speculation about the spending half the games in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. So to me, they're the yeah they're not obviously not with the stem of what the Expos were, but they're kind of like what Winnipeg and Atlanta are. That I kind of see it's like they are spiritually the like the future returning yeah. Expos, and <laughs> you're guess. not getting Yuppie back. By the way, he's ours. But it was well. Wait, it was wait! Didn't big. you share? I'm so confused. Isn't it? No, we didn't have you. We took no. him. Once isn't they there left, a, we adopted him. Isn't there a um, a city that has the same mascot for multiple teams? I want to say it's Philadelphia, or it's Philadelphia that their mascots just consistently keep getting sued. Yeah, isn't like, there some thingy with the Philadelphia the green one? Oh yeah, the um, guy with the not green. big beak. That's a great way to describe it. But yes. yeah, no, I, yeah. Holds a lot of baseballs. Green. Not, you know what? I kind of want, it's really bad, but I kind of want Tampa just to win it just because I want there to be absolute chaos in Florida. The Philly fanatic. Oh, because yeah. th- think about it, like, think about it, like that. So uh, the lightning one, mm-hmm. unfortunately the heat didn't win. Now the Rays are going to win. And then, I don't know much about football, but I hear I did Antonio Brown sign with the Buccaneers. Yeah. Is he is he still like okay? Like in terms of his behavior or his play? No, in in his play. I don't know. We'll see. I guess we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Right. Well, they have Gronk too, don't they? Yeah, and Tom and Brady. Brady. <laughs> I hear Tom Brady's like an okay player or something. Yeah. Um, he's got Gronk, up and comer. Yeah. Um, and then Tampa, but the Bucks are going to win the the Buccaneers are going to win the Super Bowl. So that's three they... parades during a pandemic in Tampa Bay. When did they turn into Boston when it comes to like sports champions Tampa? here? Um, not too sure. The warm weather All right. allows them to practice year round. Sure, why not? Keeps I the moods up. That. Right. Um, we have like we have a bit of time before Harmon comes on here. And the only other thing we actually have to talk about uh Formula One, I guess we had a Grand Prix earlier. Uh, yeah, that was we did. The Portuguese Grand Prix. Portugal Grand Prix? Sure. Where the British man, Lewis Hamilton, breaks Michael Schumacher's record of race wins. Ninety-two Lewis Hamilton sets. He had his dad there. It was there were tears, it was amazing. Peter Bonington was there from Mercedes on the podium. He got drenched. What t-shirt contest, lads? What did we think? Daniel, a not a, again, a disappointing racer in Alexander Albon. Yeah, you know, I still believe in him. I remember Alex was kind of talking about how like one of the Red Someone Bull seats one of the Red Bull seats might be replaced. Like, I don't know oh, how they they're gonna replace replaced. I don't know how they're gonna replace Max Verstappen, but you know, I still <laughs> like Alex Albon a lot. Um I, I really do cheer Max. for him every match but i don't know just i i what i kind of feel with him that he had that momentum when he first got the seat from pierre gasly and now it just it's gonna been it's been a bit stagnant it reminds me of travis dermott it's been downhill (laughs) let's just be honest yeah he um he needs to i think he needed more of a develop more seasoning before he really took on the seat Pierre Gasly is doing better. Like I, I have to. I'd have to double check, but just by, by quick glance, 
it seems like Pierre Gasly's doing better in the Alpha Tauri than he is in the Red. Then Albon is he? doing that. This is what I kind of think. Maybe he needs the kick in the pants as well. You know, he needs that 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 push, Alex push. He's one point behind Albon. One point. That um, one's the Red Bull. One is, by the way, the Alpha Tauri. There, like one is, one is a car that Max Verstappen has single-handedly been carrying Red Bull second place in the constructors. I have no idea how Red Bull are. Uh, actually, I do, but they're second in the constructors. That's just because there's no one really else. Because it's just Max pull like getting everything out of that car, and there's just nothing else. Absolutely you, nothing. Just give it to one of Hulkenberg or Perez gets that seat, and especially next year. I think there's like a blog post coming out about that. I don't there know. absolutely is for my reporting sports cars. Hulkenberg sure. <laughs> it needs to be Nico. I love that guy. It was, yeah. by the way, P5 for Gasly. A really quiet race, and who I think got robbed the driver of the day. Charles Leclerc, P4. Did he My push, guess. though? Did Pierre Wait, push? He started P3 or P5? I believe it was... I want to say it was P4, yeah. And he just kept that that poor Ferrari just going. By the way, Kimi Raikkonen went in up like 10 spots in the first freaking uh, yeah. lap. Poor and then guy. he lost them all. Yeah, because <laughs> Alvatari is garbage. Alfa Romeo. Alpha, yeah, sorry. Well, I said Alvatari, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Offer a mail, whatever you call it. Poor George either didn't get a point. He may lose his seat. That's going to be no, a shame. No, he's not. I made well, a song. They need money. and They're not going to get rid of Latifi and his money. I, I hope he stays. Uh, I love George, mm, but... I think I he's know. under contract. I find it hard to believe they'll buy him out. But yeah, but... We'll see. Contract in F1... No, they, they still have anything. to buy him out. I understand that, but they, they'd still have to pay to get rid of him. Yeah, but who's going to bring in more money? And I trust me, I would rather have George, but who's going to – you got to think of the money that Perez is going to bring in. I don't think Perez is going to go to Williams. You know what we never really commented I, on I, yet? What? Lance Stroll. Well, because he's had – listen, he has had yeah, really bad luck. He got sick. Um, Leclerc crashed into him in Sochi. You know, he, you know, a bit rusty. Hulkenberg, you know, the super sub came in and kind of made him look bad. He just, he's kind of lost his legs a bit. And I don't like, I don't feel terrible for him because he kind of stole Esteban Ocon's seat. And now, kind of, you know, because of his dad, now Perez may not have a seat. I don't feel terrible for him. But I don't think it, a lot of it is really his fault how the mm. last few races have gone. Well, maybe today's race. I'm trying to remember what happened to Don't him. Don't crash into Lando. How about that? Or was, bump yeah, him yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, How about yeah. that one? That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Also, who was it Max's fault or Lance's on free practice? That's really I, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what happened. So mm-hmm. Right. Anyone else we want to talk about here? The, the, the Renaults um, are really quiet. I don't Vettel, have anything else to talk about. Vettel got 10th, which is Vettel whatever. Doesn't. Yeah, he's not. I don't think he's very mm. interested anymore. No, he really does not care. He wants to get out of there so quickly. Even right. he's surprised by Charles. Yeah, what did he say? Like, man, like I, I even if I was driving well, I couldn't catch up because Charles is just doing amazing right now. Yeah. God, he's awesome. 
if if like if he had a half decent engine or even a half decent car, period, he honestly might be on the podium today, Ooh. or at least he like uh, Charles because oh, yeah. he is he is an incredible driver. Yeah, you know what yeah. we have to do at some point? Um, we need to go back and watch season one of Drive. Well, I've watched it obviously, but we need to go back and and review season one of of Drive Through Side because I was re-listening to our first one. And I remember just watching season two. I didn't like Charles, but then I went back and watched season one, and now he's my favorite driver. We have to go back. Maybe we will. You know, Bizarre Adventures might come back. I mean, we may have to. We might have to. If we want to keep two episodes a week, we might have to do that. (laughs) I don't mind. Those were fun. movies, though. You know. That's okay. I'm still surprised the Lego movie didn't work out. You know, I thought that was going to be an exciting time for us. It was... But it was like towards like the time where we just wanted hockey to be back. I think we just picked the wrong time for it. That and it's not a special movie. It's meh. What? I don't. I, I went there. What? I don't like joke yeah. joke I'll, Batman. I'll uh, let you guys have that debate. Yeah. We're just stall it. You know what? Yeah, Do we, we can just, just... Pa- we'll take the pause and then when next time you see us or or hear us, you'll uh, you'll see someone else here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Stay tuned. Harmon Dial. Alex, have you yep. shaved? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I I did as well. I spent way too long doing my hair, and I wonder why. Harmon, you're back. Didn't see you there. How are you, man? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? I Good. think we're all all doing well. Happy you're here, Harmon Dial of the Athletic. He covers the Vancouver Canucks. There's been so much to talk about with the Canucks, obviously. But before we kind of get into the specifics here. Uh, I really want to ask you, Harmon, you know what? We talked a bit about the show. You got to cover the playoffs from home. It was, you know, crazy because the first time, as you reminded us, since 2015, Vancouver make it. They have a play-in series as well. But, dude, as a hockey fan, Harmon, um, we, of course, had the playoffs, even got – we had our draft free agency. Did life feel normal again to you for a little bit there? Uh, yes and no. I, I feel in the sense that, um, all this activity happened and I think it did help, uh, just in terms of establishing uh, normalcy in a lot of people's lives. But at the same time, um, everything did feel a little, a little bit different. I mean, for as well as the NHL did to try and make the playoffs, uh, as feasible as possible. And I think they did an excellent job of executing the format getting no positive tests and being able to uh, pull the whole thing off to me is genuinely remarkable. Uh, but ultimately when there's no fans in the building, when you're covering a, a playoff series from your bedroom, when you're having to do post game conferences um, over zoom uh, and you're in your hundreds of miles away, it's, it's just bound to be, to be a little bit different. And um, even the draft, I think, um, Last year was awesome because it was in, in my hometown, Vancouver. Um, and it was just a phenomenal experience to, to be able to cover it in person. And this year was supposed to be Montreal and, and, I, and I was supposed to go. Um, and you contrast it to the virtual format and the virtual format was honestly pr- uh, pretty much just a drag. Um, it felt, uh, especially on day two. So um, it, 
it, I mean, I'm not going to complain because at the end of the day, everyone has to adjust because of the pandemic. And I'm grateful more than anything that we do have hockey back. But uh, I'd be lying if I said that things felt uh, 100% normal. Uh-huh. You talked about fans. Did Was there ever a point where you got used to the lack of fans in the stands there? Or was it just kind of distracting the entire way? Well, I think... When I sort of think back to uh, what I remember most about the playoffs, the, 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 the fans just play such an important role, I think, in driving momentum, driving the atmosphere of, uh, of a postseason game. And I think of, you know, when, uh, when a team, when a home team scores early in a game or when they have momentum, you can really feel that the crowd amplifies it. And uh, then the visiting team is all of a sudden on their heels. And so from that perspective, I don't think the ice, uh, like what happens is when a team is controlling play really well and they're at home, it feels like the ice is tilted a little bit more in their favor. And it just didn't feel like that was the case in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different vibe, honestly. Like the hockey itself was grade A phenomenal. I'm I'm very impressed that the players were able to, um, in that condensed of a schedule with that type of a layoff and in, in just uh, a two week training camp, essentially, that they were able to ramp up to that type of intensity and give us that caliber hockey. Uh, but again, it just it was a different vibe. Uh, without fans, I think it's just always going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to a playoff game before? I'm assuming you have, but yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously not uh, covering it as a reporter, but um, I think uh, not in 2015, but uh, in 2013, first round, uh, Vancouver San Jose. I went to a couple playoff games. Yeah. All right, then I think all all four of us have been have been, had the pleasure to go to them, especially in Canadian sort sort of ones. You can just tell how special it is. I've I've had the pleasure to go to a few at the Bell Center. And I remember in 2017 when Jeff Petrie scored Montreal's first goal of the playoffs. I was so excited. I actually uppercutted the guy behind me because I was just so excited to just let it all out. <laughs> and I thought he was going to high five me. And he's like, no, you, you hit me, but it was all funny games. And oh, it's just, oh, it almost brings a tear to your eye because it's just, it's so fun. Um, but we want to kind of shift gears here because the Canucks, there's been so much around them. Um, and one of the newest pieces of news is Jake Vertanen. Uh, extended for two more years, $2.55 million is the AAV. Uh, what's the first thing you thought of when you saw that deal come out? Well, I thought it was inevitable once Tyler Toffoli left, and uh, especially when Josh Levo wasn't, um, who's now signed with Calgary, wasn't in the team's plans because um, between those two guys, you've lost two top nine wingers. And when you're in that sort of a scenario, it's easy to see Vancouver um, and now all of a sudden, if you can't retain Vertanen, then Brock Besser is uh, essentially your only top nine right winger. And um, you're just not going to win many hockey games like that. And so uh, I, I just really think once Toffoli and Levo were gone, that uh, uh, Vertanen extension was inevitable. I think the terms that they agreed to were pretty reasonable. I think uh, the $2.55 million AAV was... Um, tidy work for the Canucks considering that uh, Vertanen's arbitration case could have been closer to 3 million. Uh, I think the extra year of term was uh, a little bit more security for the player to compensate for that lower AAV. And plus 
the Canucks structured the contract in a way where most of the cash is actually paid out in the second year. So Vertanen's paid 1.7 in year one and 3.4 in year two. And the reason for that um, is, I think, mostly in part because ownership, they don't have a, necessarily have a cap and, and have an internal cap like some teams do, but they definitely have an internal cash crunch. Um, and I think the second year allowed them to kind of distribute the financial load to the second year. And so I think that just kind of helped out both parties. And, and I think all around, it was just a pretty reasonable and fair contract on, on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I throw it over to Daniel, I just want to ask, uh, how long to the Athletics says, right now, man, yeah, you're covering the Canucks, but it's time to go to Calgary because they sort of turned into the Calgary Canucks over the past <laughs> few weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. I made a joke that uh, Calgary should take Louis Erickson next, and Canucks fans seem to love that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. They um, they got obviously Levo, they got Markstrom, they got Tanev, and apparently they were in on Stetcher too. So um, I'm not sure what's going on there, but uh, it's going to be especially interesting if we have all Canadian now because oh, yeah. um, then Vancouver and Calgary will be playing each other a ton and. Um, naturally it will lend itself over to a little bit uh, of a rivalry probably. Mm -hmm. Daniel. Yeah. um, A lot of stuff you talked about Harmon was these moving pieces that have been happening with the Canucks. Um, Before we kind of jump into the specifics of the players who are coming in and who have been leaving, um, we'd like just to get like your opinion on like the Canucks run, what they kind of had with that current core and, they kind of set a standard with a roster that the main pieces are there, but a lot of the depth guys are kind of gone now or a lot of like even the bigger names. Um, so we just like to get your opinion on like, what does the Canucks run mean in terms of like setting a standard for the fan base and what they expect moving forward with the new contracts? It's raised the bar for sure. I think um, the club has now been run by Jim Benning for six seasons. And I think, Rebuilding the team was always going to be um, a difficult process, but I think you're at the point now where uh, fans were expecting that uh, the team needed to take the next step forward. And um, look, they overachieved in the playoffs for sure. Um, Being essentially one period away from the Western Conference final, I don't think anyone would have expected them, them to be in that position. Uh, and really it was driven by a, by a lot of, a lot of stellar performances. I think players that played beyond their true talent level. And um, of course we saw how valuable Thatcher Demko was in the last three games against Vegas, essentially stealing uh, those three contests and keeping Vancouver alive in a series that they otherwise weren't really in as far as who was really driving and controlling play and possession. Um, But the Canucks deserve full marks and just how they came together as a team and, they were, they were so overmatched against Vegas in terms of comparing each team's rosters, but how, how they were just kind of able to come together as a squad and commit to uh, buying in defensively and, and how they got timely scoring and just how they were blocking a ton of shots. Uh, it was a really gritty performance, and especially when they were down 3-1, for them to crawl back and force a Game 7 Honestly, I tipped my cap cap off. I thought any team, especially in a bubble format, when you're down 3-1, we saw a lot of teams just kind of roll over for, for Vancouver to kind of put that fight up. Um, I was really impressed by it, especially after 
um, even just beating St. Louis in round one. And I know the Blues had some COVID cases beforehand, so they weren't really the same juggernaut that won the Stanley Cup the year before. But that was still one hell of a hockey team. And, and for Vancouver to be able to knock them off in six games, uh, again, full kudos to them. And I, I think just seeing that kind of reinvigorated the fan base. And um, the Canucks are in a new era of expectations, I think. Um, for for the club now, over the next couple of seasons, you want to build yourself up to the position where the next time you lose in round two, that should be a disappointment rather than, hey, we overachieved, right? So I think that's the goal for the Canucks is, is to take the next step uh, to continue to build that roster out and put yourself in a position where you expect nothing short of elite results. And I think um, that's going to be the challenge for this management group now is to kind of build on that as the fan base uh, increases its expectations. All right. Um, so we've kind of talked about is, you know, it was kind of like a special group there. And they when they made this run, how confident are you with the moves that have been done? And there's a lot of been work that still has to be done. Like how confident are you that, the 2021 Canucks will make the same run? Yeah. Uh, when I look and examine, compare this year's roster uh, compared to last year's, the one that just left the bubble, um, it's tough to see how the Canucks improved in a meaningful way. Uh, when you look at that uh, bubble team, you've lost Tyler Toffoli, who was uh, a key top six forward. Uh, you've lost Jacob Markstrom, who was your workhorse number one goaltender, who was uh, an elite top five goaltender this past season for you, the team MVP. Um, you lost your best defensive defenseman in Chris Tanev. Um, and the only significant piece that came in as a replacement was Nate Schmidt. And look, I think Schmidt is an upgrade on Tanev in your top four. Uh, but by and large, you're weaker in goal for sure. And I don't think the, the margin is negligible as some people have tried to make it out to be. And um, the way you've got to see the top six is with Toffoli and, and people will point out and say, well, the Canucks didn't have Toffoli for most of the regular season anyway. Uh, and that's a fair point. But in the first half of the season to kind of compensate, Levo was really valuable in a middle six role. Um, and neither one is with the club now. So from that perspective, you've got Jake Vertanen likely penciled into your top six. And Vertanen, for context, wasn't even in the game one lineup. He was a healthy scratch. So anytime you've got a game one healthy scratch now playing, potentially on your top line heading into next season, you've got to concede that the top six is weaker. So, um, and that's not me saying Jake Vertanen can't be sufficient in that role. That's just you're weaker, you have less depth there. Um, so from that perspective, you can argue whether they took a slight step back or whether it was a sideways move. But either way, I think we can all agree that it wasn't a huge step forward. Um, and I think if this is the same roster on paper, then I think they're going to be hard-pressed to replicate that run, even if the younger players are going to be a little bit better. Because to, to be quite honest, the team, as I mentioned earlier, they, they overachieved, I think, to be in that same position where they push uh, a legitimate Stanley Cup contender to second to seven games in the second round, that's going to be a monumental task. And um, I'm not saying that they can't do it, but at the end of the day, uh, the expectation for the fan base at some point has to be to build a real contender, 
right? Like, I don't think anyone looks at Vancouver and says, this is a Western Conference powerhouse right now. And I think the goal is to get to that stage because, um, look, we can talk about Vancouver and, and just how impressive that playoff run was and, and how much fun it was. But at the end of the day, take 16 wins to, to claim the Stanley Cup. And the Canucks, at the end of the day, got seven. Right. That wasn't even halfway technically. So there's still a lot of room for them to go. Uh, could they make it to round two? Sure. I'm not ruling that out. But um, in terms of making a serious round, going into round three and potentially even the cup final, um, I think they're going to be hard pressed to do that with the roster that they have on paper. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work too is on Jim Benning and Alex. You have the question on that? Yeah, I think I have an idea of what your answer is going to be. But are, are you impressed with what Jim Benning has done this offseason so far? Uh, they, that, that's a good question. I think um, not really because on face value, a lot of the decisions that the management group has made are sensible in in, in terms of like letting Mark Schmantanov go was the right decision, even if it hurts you in the short term, given the extravagant contracts that they earned uh, in Calgary. Like you don't want to give Markstrom at 31 years old or, or soon to be 31 years old, six years. You don't want to give four years to Tanev. Uh, so I think that made sense. Um, I think I, I was a big fan of the Nate Schmidt acquisition getting, I think uh, a, a legitimate bona fide number two, three defenseman, for a third-round pick, for pennies on the dollar, uh, you take that any day of the week. Uh, and beyond that, even something as simple as signing Jace Howerluck is a low-risk gamble in your in your bottom six. Uh, I really like the qualities that he brings as a as, as a sort of pesky, hard to play against forward with maybe a little bit of untapped offensive upside. Um, and yet the, the problem that I keep going back to is you weren't able to improve your roster. And at this stage of your team's sort of rebuilt trajectory, you ju- you're just coming off of a really exciting playoff run and your young guys got an opportunity to get their first taste of action. They rose to the occasion, whether it was Elias Pettersson, whether it was Quinn Hughes, whether it was Bo Horvat uh, leading the playoffs and goals. Uh, all these guys performed to the level that you hope them to. They got that taste of experience that you need. Um, and, and really now's a time where ideally you would have been able to step on the accelerator and, and continue to make upgrades and flush out the depth on your roster, continue to build out the back end, uh, continue to build out uh, the bottom six and um, just making improvements in, in that way. And, and the team just wasn't able to able to do that because their salary cap situation was prohibitive. And um I think in isolation, it was difficult to see the Canucks being able to do a whole lot uh, else. Um, I think the main takeaway is just the inefficient bottom six contracts that they have on the roster. And look, they're going to be off the books in, in a couple of years, right? All of them. So um, this isn't something that's going to inhibit them forever. But in the short term, it does, I think, delay their ability uh, to open the contention window early because next year's last last season of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes' entry-level contracts, um, that would have been a massive boon if they were uh, relatively clear on the books and they had a bunch of money to spend um, in what's become an unprecedented buyer's market on the free agency front. Like, look at what these players are going for. Yeah, um, I think even 
when fans look at someone like Tyler Toffoli going at just over four and change uh, on a four-year deal, that hurts given how um, valuable, valuable he was. Um, someone like Troy Stetcher is a, is a key number five defenseman who can step up uh, your lineup if injuries ever strike. Um, that hurts a little bit in terms of undermining your depth. Um, so I think all told, uh, again, in isolation, the decisions that management made, um, I totally get behind a lot of them. And yet the inability to clear extra salary cap room to actually upgrade the roster, I think that has to be viewed as a disappointment. And um, again, that's not to say that Benning or, or this management group can't build uh, a Stanley Cup contender. It's just going to take longer than it ideal would ha- ideally would have uh, because of some of their past mistakes. Right. And, and you know, do you cut Jim Benning any type of slack considering the, you know, you look at the market and it's still really uncertain in what the future of the cap, um, considering not having fans in the stands, not being able to move those bottom contracts because the guys who are being moved uh, now, with the exception of really Eric Goodbranson being moved for a, a fifth, um, they're all pretty much quality guys like Ryan Murray, um, Nate Schmidt. And I know I'm forgetting a guy off the top of my head, but they're still quality guys being moved for pennies on the dollar. Sure. I think, uh, again, it comes back to this, to two perspectives. One, you can say that considering the extenuating circumstances that the club made out all right. And again, that goes back to my point that they made sensible decisions. And and as you pointed out, it was going to be difficult to move out this bad money. But on the other hand, then you've got the other perspective, which is to say that the flat cap has only enhanced the leverage of their bad contracts and that it only, um, it only further highlights their past mistakes. And at the end of the day, who was it that signed these bad contracts? It was this management group. Um, they signed Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, Brandon Sutter, Antoine Roussel, Sven Berchi. They've got nearly $20 million in these inefficient contracts. Um, and, and it's not as if these deals were ones that people looked at and, and thought they would age well. No, people, when, when Jay Beagle was signed, for example, there, was, there were a lot of people, including myself, that said, why are you paying a, a fourth line center $4 million? Like this is going to come back and bite you in the rear, especially at four years when he was what already 32, 33 years old. So I think it's not hindsight to say that those contracts were always going to age poorly. And so because of that, I think, yeah, you can cut them slack given the in isolation in terms of if you put any other general manager in that exact same position. um, Yeah. Maybe they wouldn't have had a lot more luck sort of navigating that, uh, that cap crunch, but this management group was ultimately the one that created that crunch through their own doings. Like they shot themselves in the foot. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a lot about some of the guys who have left Vancouver over the past few weeks. Uh, before maybe asking you about like, individual players and maybe what they've kind of lost there and maybe the feeling around the, fa- the fan base, I've, I'd like to ask, during the negotiations before free agency began with these guys, or even maybe the lack of negotiations if you want to go there, what happened? 
what led to Stetcher leaving? What led to Toffoli walking? What happened, Harmon? I think a lot of them uh, were different scenarios. Like if you're talking about Toffoli, um, quite simply, I don't think the Canucks made a serious effort to try and bring him back. I think they looked at the limited space they had um, and they wanted to ensure that they had that flexibility available for defensemen. And they capitalized on that by bringing Nate Schmidt in. Um, beyond that, if you're talking about some of the other guys, Markstrom, Tanev, Stetcher, then I think they kind of pushed the deadline um, and, and they tried to play hardball with them. And I think what happened is when you're playing hardball, and, and this is the classic cliche in negotiations, wh- whoever um, has the upper hand, whoever has more lever, whoever, ha- whoever um, can walk away and be more whoever is more comfortable walking away has more leverage in negotiations. And I think what ended up happening is Vancouver essentially said, we've got strict terms on Markstrom, for instance, they didn't want to go six years for Tanev. They didn't want to go four years. So initially Vancouver was willing to walk away. They made their firm offers they drew their line in the sand of what they were comfortable offering which again i think was the right decision given um, where these players are at in in their respective stages of their career maybe not so much for stetcher but definitely for for uh tanev and uh, markstrom and i think these players in, in in normal circumstances maybe they would have been pressed into signing and caving at at some point close to closer to the deadline to deals um, like the ones Vancouver offered. But I think what happened is at the end of the day, Markstrom cut six years, right? Like he had uh, the opportunity to walk away to a much better offer. And and when, when Vancouver tried upping some of their offers, it was just a little bit too late. And same thing with Tanev. Um, and it just sort of came to be where I was surprised that Markstrom, I think what happened is sort of late with the playoffs, the narrative of him completely changed. Like I remember talking to people around the league about Markstrom. And for the most part, people didn't really recognize him as an upper echelon workhorse starter. I think the industry was still a little bit behind in catching up reputation wise for what Markstrom had sort of become. But then we saw that he finished fourth in Vesna trophy voting. And I think what happened in the meantime is the industry caught up in their evaluation of him. So I think the difference was if you're talking about Marks from midseason and the Canucks were negotiating, I think the belief then was, I think it was hard to see a team ponying up and paying Markstrom six by six, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of last minute as the market matured and teams came to recognize the caliber of player that uh, Markstrom really is that uh, that situation changed and it gave Markstrom so much more leverage than had initially been anticipated and um, similar sort of thing for Tanev being healthy for a full season, um, being a key contributor in that playoff run uh, that just gave those players a little bit more leverage and a little bit more buying power than Vancouver was willing to uh, dish out. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the show, we, we do have a main focus on the Leafs and the Canadians. Ignore all the carry price stuff behind me. Let's just pretend that's not there. Um, selfish question here. What should Habs fans look forward to in a player like Tyler Toffoli? A lot. I think when the perfect fit 
for Toffoli is alongside, I think, uh, a dynamic center who can create space because Toffoli isn't the quickest player um, in terms of moving north-south. Um, he isn't going, going to be someone who leads the play up the ice uh, as far as zone, zone exits and entries. Um, like, Don't expect him to be this flashy player who um, makes things happen. But what you maybe lack for in flash with Toffoli is a lot of substance in being able to find open ice um, he creates a lot of chances for himself. He's a pure shoot first player. Like he's a pretty good playmaker too, but what you're getting in him is uh, a really solid trigger man. Someone who, again, if you have a center who can sort of break plays open, like, and this is why he was such a great fit with Pedersen. What Pedersen would do is he would draw so much of uh, attention from defenders. And what happens with a player like Pedersen is he has a gravity about him where it just opens up ice in other parts in other parts of the rink, right? It's kind of like having a, a, a lethal three-point shooter in basketball. Like if you have Steph Curry on the court, he's going to open up extra room on the court because teams have to respect his shot. And it's the same way with a dynamic playmaking center. And so if you have that dynamic playmaking center, he's going to create that extra real estate for someone like Toffoli. And once Toffoli has those open pockets – he, his offensive instincts are so sharp in being able to find um, in being able to find those soft spots near, near the ice and being able to find um, those high danger scoring areas. And that's where he's going to feast as someone who can finish um, as someone who's going to get a lot of scoring chances, who's going to shoot a lot. And I think that's where you're really looking forward to Toffoli is as this trigger man who's really smart, um, who can read off of elite offensive players um, who, especially on Vancouver's top power play unit, he took it to the next level with his playmaking below the goal line. Like I know the Habs have had issues um, with their power play. So uh, again, I'm not sure if uh, Montreal can sort of take their man advantage to, to the next level, because I still think that uh, a guy like Toffoli isn't going to be your A1 or or, or, or 1B option even um, as far as, being a primary threat, like for Vancouver, JT Miller, uh, Elias Pedersen, they were your main threats. Um, and same sort of thing. They opened up extra real estate and that's where Toffoli and Horvat really were able to thrive. So not sure if he can be a difference maker uh, without having elite talent on PP1, but no doubt that he has the capacity uh, to be uh, a top uh, player as again, sort of, He's not a tra traditional net front guy, but he can pop out and, and just be a really good playmaker below the goal line. So, um, and at four two five, I I really love the deal for Montreal. I think he can. He's just a legit top six piece, uh, and I think that uh, the way his game is built, you only signed him for four years, and he's twenty eight years old. Um, I'd be pretty comfortable making that bet if I was Montreal. Mm -hmm. You're getting me excited now. So so excited. <laughs> Uh, uh, Daniel, just quickly before Daniel goes, it, we were talking about Markstrom before, and I just had one question because I, I really hopped on uh, this train. Was that what is the kind of senses why he chose Calgary? Because I know Edmonton was offering him that seventh year. Yeah, I'm not sure for for I'm not 100 percent certain that Edmonton did offer that seventh year. I, I know that there were that there were. Um, sort of rumors about if that happened or not. Uh, but the six by six offer 
like I heard on the day before free agency from someone that uh, a team was ready to offer him six by six. And at that point, I, um, I, I figured that it was probably Calgary. Uh, and at that point, I think the friendship that Markstrom has with Elias Lindholm, like those guys, those two guys are best friends. So I think right. that really played a part um, because, I mean, think about it. If you're in Markstrom shoes, Edmonton, if you compare Edmonton and Calgary, that's for hypothetical purposes, say that they offered pretty similar terms in, uh, as far as money. Uh, at that point, it becomes what city do you like better? What team would you prefer to play on? And I think A, uh, Edmonton is very cold. It's not uh, a desirable market. Um, I, I definitely heard from uh, from people, and, and I know that Matt Sakaris locally was saying he doesn't think Markstrom will want to go to Edmonton, the city, uh, just because of – I mean, I've been there. Th- I, I was there two two or three times uh, <laughs> last year on the road, and let me tell you, like, no disrespect to everyone, anyone that lives in Edmonton. It is cold, <laughs> and, if, it, and if you do not like the cold, you'll not like Edmonton. So if I was a player – Personally, I would not want to sign in Edmonton. So I think I can kind of get that angle and then be, I mean, his best friend plays for Calgary. Like, it's as simple as that. If your best friend played for Calgary and he's pitching you on, hey, man, we can play here. And and Lindholm's on a long-term contract as well. We can play here together forever. Like these times, these these guys spend so much time together in Sweden in the offseason just hanging out. Um, I think that's kind of what made the difference for, for Markstrom in choosing Calgary over Edmonton. Right, right. Okay. I was just curious because playing with playing with Calgary, playing in Calgary, or playing with two top, arguably yeah, top ten players definitely. in the league, and it's again Edmonton not being able to get someone th- to come there. I think the friendship aspect was number one, like above right. the Edmonton City factor. I think that was, I think that was a primary motivating um, factor again for Markstrom there. Forget right. about Kachuk. You got to give Lindholm the C next. <laughs> yes. Gets Markstrom, then half of Vancouver follows him over to Calgary. Dang, good for him. Good for him. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry, Daniel, go ahead. No worries. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to actually continue on that Markstrom talk. So, I'd like to know your thoughts on that switch that, you know, Markstrom's gone now. There's Braden Holtby in Vancouver and what that's going to mean for the team. Yeah, I think um, – Demko and Holpe have the po- the possibility, I think, to um, be a good goaltending tandem. But I hear a lot of people saying that this isn't a step back. And quite honestly, I, I can't see it as anything but. Because we can examine Demko's three-game sort of larceny, his heroic playoff performance. But... At the end of the day, even though I think he can be a starting goaltender one day, he's got less than 50 games of NHL experience under his belt. Uh, he was a 905 goaltender in the regular season, and he faltered a little bit, a little bit, when Markstrom went down with injury. So even though I think that he can be a, a solid netminder, I don't think it's realistic to expect him to be the number one stud right away. Like it, at the very least, it's not a guarantee. And I think a lot of people are just expecting it to happen seamlessly. Um, and I know just to throw a, a playoff reference, people 
I, I remember the 2010 playoff series where Yaroslav Halak just went beast mode against Washington. And it was the same sort of thing um, where some people looked at that situation and said, okay, well, Halak's our guy now and, and, and screw Carey Price. And of course, what happened there is you were kind of overrating Halak a little bit because of that small sample size. And I think, I don't want to say the same thing is true for Demko because again, I'm a believer in him. But uh, I think what people are maybe overrating is just how seamlessly that transition is going to occur. So I think that he's not certain to be a top 10 goaltender next year. Uh, and then you have Holpe. And people will bring up that he's a Stanley Cup contender, or sorry, a Stanley Cup winner, um, a former Vesna winner. Uh, the truth is that body of work hasn't come in recent years. Like he's put together three years now where um, he's been an average goaltender and look for the contract that he signed. I think it's a reasonable bet. Uh, I much prefer it to re-signing Markstrom uh, because of the term, but he had an, he pitched an 897 last year. Like you can't really realistically compare Markstrom and Holtby. Um, and, and again, let me be clear. When I say this, none of this is an indictment on Holtby and Demko, because again, I think they can be, uh, they can give you average to good goaltending. I legitimately do think that, especially under the, the, uh, the guidance of Ian Clark. But I just look at how much Markstrom meant for this organization these past two years. And again, you can't look at what Markstrom is going to be in Calgary. You've, when you're talking about is, did the Canucks take a step back? You've got to look at what Markstrom already gave you these past two years. And from that perspective, from that facet, you look at clear sight analytics, which accounts for the defense in front of each goaltender and no net minder around, around the league saved more goals than Markstrom in the last two years combined. He was 100% at least a top 10 goaltender, probably top five. Like I I'm of the belief that he was elite um, we obviously know that he got Vesna trophy result, Vesna trophy votes. Um, he was a team MVP for consecutive seasons. He bailed the team out in so many games that they had no business winning. Um, his record in games with the Canucks allowed more than 40 shots. Unbelievable. I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's something along the lines of like nine, three and one, something ridiculous. Uh, and so from that perspective, Markstrom wasn't just good, he was elite. And, and so it's just, he set the bar so high that even if Demko and Markstrom are good, or sorry, if Demko and Hopi are good, they just won't be able to, I think, fully bridge the gap. I think they can partially bridge the gap, but uh, to expect them to, to fully replace all of Markstrom's value is a little bit uh, too optimistic. Okay, so for prediction, like, I know, like, Holtby kind of, I guess the writing was on the wall already that he's not going to be, like, that 70-game guy anymore. When he was in Washington, like, what is your predictions of how many games he plays and, I guess, the role he plays with Demko? I think it's just going to be a, a standard 1A, 1B, where it's a roughly 50-50 split depending on uh, who is able to uh, kind of take the mantle and, and who's able to kind of rise to the occasion and, and just hit the ground running. Uh, and so from that perspective, I don't think that, um, I think both guys have the ability to be, um, and I can't emphasize this enough because when I say, 
when they say, oh, there's a, there's a pretty notable step back in goal, people will think that I'm, um, that I don't believe in Mark or in uh, Demko and Hopi, that I think they're not good goaltenders. And uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. I think that Demko, uh, he, in the right circumstance, can step up and, and he's the goalie of the future. Like at the end of the day, let's call it for what it is. Um, nobody knows if he'll be able to fulfill that ceiling, but um, I, I think highly of him. I think that he can be uh, uh, an above average starting goaltender in the league. Uh, and Holtby, I think with Ian Clark, he can be a, a, a competent uh, 1B. I think he can be a good 1B. And so from that perspective, both guys have the capability to kind of step up to the occasion um, and, and, and and give the Canucks a, t- a chance to win in every game that they start. And so for that reason, it's just a 50-50 from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, before we move on to Adam about the trade rumors, I'd like this, like you've mentioned it before with Nate Schmidt, like how important was it for them to kind of get him when, you know, the Canucks were losing base, like they were losing quite a few guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw on Twitter, the uh, hashtag fire Benning um, <laughs> trending across Canada, but um, <laughs> people had the pitchforks out like, Wants to fully, like, I think when Markstrom and Tanev were gone, it was a little bit of initial disappointment, but people understood that, hey, these are pretty pricey contracts and we they could understand uh, Jim Benning not signing them. But when Toffoli left at a reasonable rate and um, when Stetcher departed to <laughs> and the UFA market thinned out, it was absolutely bonkers in Vancouver. It was, oh, it, I, I honestly, Canucks Twitter is crazy. Oh, yeah. Like crazy, like nuts. <laughs> I don't mean that in a particularly bad way because I love, uh, I love working for a fan base that's passionate. Um, I'd much rather that than a dead market like Ottawa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely calling them out. Okay. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> honestly, Eugene, you, I blame Eugene Melnick for that. It's not, it's honestly not, I don't blame the people of Ottawa. It is literally Eugene Melnick. I went there in February and it's the buildings in the middle of nowhere. It's on the side of a highway. Like how do you expect fans to get out there? Like, honestly, that I should be very clear. That is not a knock on the people of Ottawa. I love the people of Ottawa. Yeah. Um, I got to see a bunch of them when I, when I visited Ottawa itself is a beautiful city, but this team doesn't play in Ottawa. It plays in Canada. Like this is yeah. like, come on. Like it's the equivalent of if the Leafs played in like, I don't know, London, Ontario, like, <laughs> or I don't know if they played in Brampton. Like it's not the same thing. Like, right. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's on Eugene, Eugene Melvin. But anyway, back to my point, Canucks Twitter is pretty crazy. So the pressure, the heat was on Jim Benning 100%. And I think when Nate Schmidt, when Nate Schmidt was acquired, um, it was important. Otherwise I think uh, season ticket holders would have stormed Rogers arena and looked to burn the building down. <laughs> yeah. Adam. Uh, you know, what's really funny, Harmon. We've joked a few times that before, like all three of us decided to go to Ryerson here in Toronto, you know, of course, we went to, like, Carlton to go on tours. And as you go on your way past Carlton and some route, you can see the Canadian Tire Center. And I remember the first time I saw it, just going, wait, is that 
That's where it is. What is this? Oh, it's great. Um, all right. I want to paint a little picture here, right? Um, if you're on Dollar Cherry Harmon, could you close your eyes for a minute while I kind of do a little thing here? I okay. Want to, okay. You have just been hired as a new GM of the Vancouver Canucks. You have, and I don't want to rip Vancouver here. You got three players who are probably fringe guys, maybe bottom six at best. Unfortunately, they make $12, $12 million between them. They had six points combined in the playoffs. You have two massive RFAs next season who are due, and they just happen to be in the most expensive position in hockey, as you all know. Harmon, open your eyes now. I want to look you in the eyes as I ask you this. Okay. If you are in this scenario, why in the world are you looking at bringing in Oliver ekman Larson? It's a really good question. Um, I think the key to a potential ekman Larson trade would have been that uh, a bad contract would have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think Erickson was uh, who Vancouver thought would be going back in a potential ekman Larson trade. Mm-hmm. So I think from that perspective, if you're sort of reallocating some of that um, inefficient bottom six money to the top four on the back end, the Canucks would have been able to make it work. I think in the short term, it would have taken, they would have, to, they would have had to juggle uh, or sorry, uh, jump through some hoops. Um, but it would have been feasible if, if Arizona took on some dead money and, or not dead money, but practically dead money. Um, and so that, I think that was the key to a trade. Uh, otherwise it, as you mentioned, wouldn't have made sense. And um, that that potential trade would have obviously carried a lot of long-term implications uh, as far as Ekman Larson is 29 years old. And um, in comparison to Schmidt, he's obviously signed for, uh, I believe, still six years, seven years. Like he's got, he's got mammoth term left, right? Like into his mid, well into his mid thirties point being, um, and he signed at 8.25. So that contract at the back end uh, really has the potential, would have had the potential to handcuff Vancouver. So if they made that trade now, it, it would have been, we've got to hit the accelerator now. We, our window to win is sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, and by not making that trade, I think the Schmidt one works out so much better for them mm-hmm. uh, because they don't carry that same long-term risk. Obviously, Schmidt is 29 as well, but um, and he signed for uh, uh, another four years. So again, the last year or two might be a little bit risky, but um, especially when you pair it with the acquisition cost, just being a third-round pick, that trade is miles better than, uh, than an Ekman-Larsen one would have been. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's seven years on OAL, by the way. Yeah. Um, man, how useful is Cat Friendly? All our favorite <laughs> sites, honestly. Um, so it's safe to say that GM Harmon in an Ultra Universe probably wouldn't have done the OAL deal. Yeah, probably not. I my initial thoughts were this contract scares the heck out of me. Um, if I'm Vancouver, and um, I kind of saw the argument if. Arizona's willing to take some bad money on, uh, but mm, I feel like your initial gut feeling is pretty indicative of how you overall feel. And, and from that perspective, I was not a huge fan of it. And the fact that the Canucks were able to pull off Nate Schmidt instead, um, I think it suits their long-term interests much better. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's last one from me, Alex. Yeah. So I think we actually talked about it last time too, about Brock Besser. Cause the rumors had kind of started and then they went away and then they came back again. Uh, can we squash those rumors or are they still lingering in the air? Well, now that Toffoli's gone, there's virtually no chance of it. Uh, otherwise, you've got otherwise the Canucks would have what Jake Vertanen and and Louis Erickson or Zach McEwen <laughs> as their top six forwards, and um, that would not have been uh, that would not be very entertaining to say the least. Um, so I think Besser at this point is kind of untouchable. I think the whole rationale behind a potential Brock Besser trade was was contingent on being able to resign to Foley. And the whole idea was there was maybe you're able to monetize your right wing depth. But even then I was a believer that you're better off retaining Besser um, given how important he is for the team. And, um, and now that you have to Foley um, not in the fold, uh, it's, it's practically impossible to see. Um, Besser moved at this point, at least until they're able to acquire another bona fide top six right winger. Right. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of move on to the more looking towards the future of the team. One guy that al- always stands out to me and any time I hear about Vancouver, I always hear about this guy is Niels Hoglander. And the reason I want to ask you this, be- just because every time I hear about him, it seems like going into next season, he kind of slots into the lineup. But yesterday I saw from uh, TSN Hockey, they had done um, – uh, just a projected lineup and they didn't even have a uh, hoglander in the first four lines. They had him kind of as an extra forward. So what's kind of the expectation on him? I think that's just a fan base being a little bit pie in the sky. Um, he's a long shot to make it uh, at the end of the day. Um, he's only in his draft plus two season. He was a sec. He was a second round pick. And while he did quite well in his rookie campaign, he didn't, exactly like the world on fire and he and he hasn't done the same since like i think he's got maybe four points in 10 games which is pretty good considering it's the shl yeah um but uh i don't think he's he's ready to make the nhl jump uh players of his sort of stature and and statistical comps as far as production um most guys take uh, at least a couple years um more or at least one full season in the minors before they're ready to meaningfully compete for a spot and um, if Hoglander arrives to training camp and kind of kicks kicks the door down, is it possible that he could get some NHL games? Sure, I won't rule it out, but um, I don't think you can comfortably project him anywhere in, in your starting lineup, to be quite honest with you. So it was kind of just the fans. Because every yeah. time I heard about Hoglander, they made it seem, just from what yeah. I was reading, is that the, this guy was in the lineup. It's I'm a big fan of him case. as a prospect. Yeah, I'm a big fan of him as a prospect, but no, it's just too early. It's just right. fans always kind of tend to um, be optimistic about their prospects. And again, it's not impossible for him to crack the roster, but uh, I definitely would not be betting on it. I know I, I know. there's still quite a few, I guess, decent uh, UFAs out there. Are they are the Canucks done or are there any names that kind of interest you? I think only from a depth perspective. I uh, I believe that if Vancouver had a major move in the works, that they would have bought Brandon Sutter out. They had a secondary buyout window that they did not execute uh, on Saturday, and uh, because of that, that just tells me that um, that they don't have a meaningful move 
um, as far as potentially requiring another top six winger uh, or a legit top four guy. Uh, so I think that uh, you can pretty comfortably rule that out. Uh, I wouldn't rule out depth options, though, uh, especially on the back end. Um, I think ideally the club would want to acquire uh, a veteran number five um, just to sort of help stem the tide because as Vancouver's uh, roster projects now, um, I, I think in all likelihood one pro- it's going to be a one prospect, one veteran sort of setup. Um, the prospect, we don't know which one is going to make it yet. It could be Ulevi, it could be Rathbone could be um, Brogan Rafferty. It could be Jalen Chatfield. Uh, but um, whichever one of those guys makes it, and then presumably a, a veteran defender. And right now, you'd pencil in Jordy Ben, but I don't think that uh, given how uh, tumultuous his first year was in Vancouver, um, I think the club would like an upgrade on him if possible. Uh, so if you're maybe looking at uh, a defender of, say, Slater Cuckoo's caliber, um Potentially, he could be a fit at uh, at uh, at a close to league minimum salary on a one year deal. Uh, but beyond just tinkering here and there with the roster and extra depth guys, uh, I don't see a, a whole lot. Okay, and uh, so moving past this off season and kind of looking towards the future of this team, obviously uh, Hughes and Pedersen are the big ones that come out this year. Is there any talk of what's going on in in terms of those two extensions? Yeah. Uh, so by all accounts, both those are sort of on the back burner. Um, my, I, I mean, this off season was obviously just so hectic um, with uh, with the draft and free agency kind of condensed into this crazy two or three week window. Like it, it's, if you look at Tampa, for example, they won the cup and within a few days are already having to plan for the off season. Right. Um, so it was jam-packed on a whole lot of time to focus on that. But obviously, that's going to be the top priority thereafter. I think the situation Vancouver's in now, in all likelihood, you're looking at bridge deals between three to five years for both Pedersen and Hughes. Um, I mean, those guys are going to get paid. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I look at um, Pedersen probably my initial sus- – what I initially suspect – um, is that uh, Patterson probably slots somewhere between um, what Eichel and uh, Matthews got in terms of AAV. Um, so I think um, Matthews was 11.6 times five and yeah. Eichel was 10.5 times eight, I want to say. So I think that neighborhood in sort of the 10 to 11 million range um, on, say, a five-year deal um, – is kind of my initial uh, initial um, thoughts on, on what Patterson could command. Hughes is a lot harder to peg down for a variety of reasons. Uh, one is that um, the, the defense market just hasn't been set for a player of Hughes' caliber. Um, uh, Haskinen, Makar, Hughes, all three are, are RFAs next summer. So they're going to set the set the new bar. I know Thomas Shabbat with his contract, I think he got eight and a half times eight kind of set started to set a new bar, but um, all three are going to, are going to take it to the next level. Um, And so we'll see how that kind of plays out. Plus Hughes is uh, 10.2 C RFA, which means that because he kind of came out of college, he's not eligible for an offer sheet. So he has less leverage than Pedersen, uh, so we'll see how that factor kind of plays into negotiations. But um, right now, my sense of it is 
don't expect them to work on it anytime soon. Um, but uh, whenever it does eventually get done, um, expect a bridge deal. Yeah, that ma- that makes sense. Um, there's there's one name that I feel like hasn't really been talked a whole lot about, at least in, in Toronto or just in general. I know probably in Vancouver a little bit more, but Travis Green is on the last year of his deal as a head coach. What's the expectation in terms of, you know, is he going to get extended or are, is he kind of going to run out just this year and they'll get to it next season? Excellent question. I'm not sure what the approach is going to be. I know from Vancouver's perspective, I mean, they should be trying to bring him back and extend him because, I mean, you look every season that they've played, he's gotten the most out of this roster every single year. They, they, this team has overachieved by a little bit. Um, right. And he's put... Uh, like you've got to remember, no one expected the Canucks to make the ball. Or I, I don't want to say no one, but um, odds were um, that they were going to miss the playoffs by a little bit, and instead they went uh, deeper, a lot deeper in the bubble that pe- than people expected. So because of that, I I believe that he should be a top priority. He's a progressive coach. Um, I did a feature on him on uh, on about how he uses analytics. And, and he's just one of those coaches who's super diligent, works so hard on his craft. Um, and he knows how to bring a room together. He knows how to lead. Uh, the way he's developed some of these young guys like Pedersen and Hughes and Gaudet and uh, Besser and Horvath and how he's kind of brought them along. It's I think it's been commendable. Um, and so Vancouver should be looking to bring him back. But... Um, I think now that the the major player decisions have been made that the Canucks will shift their focus to a potential green extension, but green has a lot of leverage here. And if you're Travis green, you see your roster hasn't been meaningfully upgraded. You know, you know, you're going to be a top commodity on the free agent market. So um, Vancouver is going to have to make a serious offer if they want to bring him, if they want to extend him now, uh, and so I think it'd be wise from Vancouver's perspective, not, not only to work on an extension for Green, uh, but also Ian Clark, uh, who is Vancouver's goal attending coach. He's the one that completely transformed Jacob Markstrom's game. And look, to me, the club lost Judd Brackett, who was their head amateur scout. Um, over the years, they've just lost a lot of quality personnel little by little. Um, they lost Lawrence Gilman initially when Benning took over. Um, they, uh, they shed Trevor Linden, uh, as president and it's just becoming a thinner and thinner, uh, group. And when you lose quality people, you lose, you just inherently have less voices in the room. It becomes more group think. And I think it's important to have, um, really, really smart hockey minds outside of just your front office in the organization to help drive decision, your decision-making process. And, um, and so because of that, I think signing uh, green and Clark has to be a top priority for the Canucks. Right. Uh, One last question from me. One guy that actually came to Toronto from Vancouver was uh, assistant coach Manny Maholtra. And to be honest, I'll be honest. I didn't really know. I pretty much knew nothing about him before the actual, before he actually signed in Toronto. So what, what, what does he bring to a coaching coaching? Face-offs. Lots of face-offs. Yeah. He's extremely, extremely smart. 
um, people believe genuinely think that he's got a future as a, as an NHL head coach one day. Um, he hasn't worked as an assistant coach running a power player or PK before. That was uh, the duty of um, Newell Brown for the power play, Nolan Baumgartner for the PK and running the, running the D uh, in Vancouver. So uh, Malhosha was kind of a special skills coach, essentially, where, again, he helped a ton with faceoffs in Vancouver, was one of the top faceoff teams in the NHL. Um, and he he's he's someone who's going to be able to help young players in rounding out the details of their game, um, sort of working on um, committing to the defensive details. Uh, again, we talked about face-offs and again, he's coming into a new role as an assistant coach. So I'm going to be interested, interested to see how he adapts to that. Um, as far as, again, does he run a power play? Does he run a PK? Um, because he hasn't done that yet, but he's an extremely bright young hockey, hockey mind. And um uh, you'd love you love bringing being able to bring a guy like that in, especially the type of personality that he is as a leader, as someone who, um, like the cliche proverbial, he knows what it takes to win. Like Manny Malhotra actually knows what it takes to win, um, and I think that'll help out a Toronto squad that uh, is looking to take that next step. You said I heard you stop. I I heard defensive details, and that worked. That was enough <laughs> with the way this team. It hurts me on the night on a nightly basis. Um, that's my last question. So, so. I, Adam, you're muted. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Um, Daniel, anything from you? No, everything's good. Thank you again, Harmon. Yeah. Um. Seriously, you're back for the second time here. We really appreciate it. Um. Anyone out there who wants great coverage for for the Canucks, I don't think there's any other person you can go to beside Harvin. He's fantastic. Um, check out his work on The Athletic. Uh, you know, your recent article about Jay Vertanen. Um, you made a top 10 list of the UFAs that are still out there, if memory serves. Yep. Um, it's still incredible to me that you are the same age as Alex, a year younger than I, a few years younger than Daniel. You're at The Athletic. Um, sorry to repeat ourselves from last time, but man, um, you are wicked. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Awesome. Well, lads, we just finished our interview with Harmon, and I think that went really well. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Absolutely. Fun as always. I got. He just knows his stuff. He's wicked. And he's. I. I'm jealous of just how good he is at such a young age. It, it for hurts. Sure. What was just going each of you starting with Alex? What was your favorite part of that interview? I. I really. Something that I've I've been thinking about lately is the whole thing about Jim Benning and um, you know the moves he's made because it's such a it, it's such a back and forth with me and I think with the fan base itself and I think he really did explain it quite well. Daniel, I think for me is a lot of the thoughts that we've had on this show when it came to what the Canucks were doing this off season in a way. I'd like that they were kind of reaffirmed by Harmon who has a lot of connections on the inside on what's going on around the league on what the team's been doing that, you know, we were not far off from what we kind of thought was going on when the bleeding kind of started happening for the Canucks roster in this off season. So Mm -hmm. I think that was my favorite part that Harmon really kind of went along for each player to say that this is the details they kind of had. This is what they meant to the team. This is what Vancouver's kind of reeling with and, you know, they're as confused as we are when it comes to this offseason for the Canucks. Mm-hmm. You know what? 
I really liked hearing him make fun of Ottawa with us or just that, I loved that. Yeah. I loved it so much. Um that and just telling about Tyler Toffoli. I like the selfish stuff there. I love I love asking him about that. Um but man, seriously, uh if you're listening to the episode back, Carmen, um, thank you. We had to you know he, he had some technical difficulties, but he came back, he was really cool about everything, generous with his time. So thank you as always. People go check out his articles on the athletic. Um and yeah, that's everything from us. Daniel, do you want to do the outro? All right. Well, of course, as I've said before, as we always kind of think about it, is listeners, we all love you. Um, please continue to check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, wherever you listen to these podcasts, if you could leave a review, that'd be greatly appreciated. You know, even if you don't give us five, you could tell us why and we'll address it. Don't worry about it. No, give us five and then do it. Get, okay. Get the show the new eyes. Yeah. Did you, did you say Twitter, Instagram, YouTube? Oh, yes. Check out our YouTube. You know, I, I always kind of forget about that. And I'm sorry about that, guys. You know, I, I pick up my special hat. We have our special backgrounds for it. But yeah, of course, please check it out on YouTube as well. In addition to the other social medias, thank you to Voice Ed for continuing giving us a platform. And we will see you guys on Wednesday. And my YouTube channel. Yeah. And Adam's YouTube channel. Yeah, What's a poly video is up to 100 views. My background's a little bland. So. I like the Leafs hat, don't worry. Hang oh, the yeah. picture up. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. For like two years. No, no, not two years. It's yeah. coming. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. We're right. good. We are See good. you guys. Mm-hmm.